Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to... And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Cam Fenton. Hi there. Vancouver-based writer and radical climate activist for 350.org. You guys want to stop fossil fuel production entirely. The only way that I could be more threatened by you would be if you were a teenage girl. Welcome. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Cam, today we are going to talk about a true Canadian achievement. The world is on fire. Angry mobs have taken to the streets. We still manage to produce an election as dull and unpleasant as Maxime Bernier fanfic which exists, by the way. We will take one last look at the election coverage that was. And you've been stuffing your climate propaganda into star media boxes and disguising it to look like the star. I would be appalled if I were not so amused. We're going to talk about that. Great. Excited. Get into it. This episode, Cam, is brought to everybody by Kara S., Jordan Hale, David Hevener, Nadia Repin, and St. Louis. Ali Bushfield, Mark Apollonio, and Scott. I'm Scott and I'm a farmer in Nelson, British Columbia. I listen to the Candleland Network during my morning deliveries as a way to help navigate through the often confusing and contradictory news media. I don't always agree, but I feel that the hosts and producers are accountable in a way that no one else in the Canadian media landscape is. And Cam, before we get going, I want to tell everybody about an event. Um, the Hot Docs Podcast Festival is happening 
This is uh, a festival that has become like the podcast festival in the world. And we've kissed and made up with them since some uh, problems we had last year. And we're on stage. They said, which of your shows do you want to put on stage this this, this time? Because, you know, like you have a chance as a podcast to put on like a real, like it's a beautiful theater, the Blur Hot Dogs Theater. You don't want to just get up there and do like two people talking uh, like this. N nobody wants to watch this. No, there's, there's, there's a reason why this is audio. <laughs> so we try to make the most of it and actually put on a show. So who was going to get that? Which, which Canada Land show? And ultimately we decided we're all getting the fuck up there. Each show is getting like 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, Arshi and Jordan from Commons, they're going to tell a story live. They're going to do a full radio piece. We're going to have live music there. Canada Land, Wag the Doug, Oppo. We are going to be announcing our next podcast. We're going to be unveiling a completely new podcast. We are really pulling out all the stops for this to make it worth people's while. And it'll be a great chance to come out and meet us. Uh, at this live show. Thursday, November 7th, 9.15 p.m. If you want to buy tickets to our Canada Land show at the Hot Docs Podcast Festival, just Google Hot Docs Podcast Festival and look for us there. Hope to see you all out there. Okay, Cam, I want to take a broad look at this last week as, as, as this election concluded, what the coverage looked like. And I think it's one of the last moments, you know, where we still turn not just to live TV, I guess there's like sports. Some people enjoy sports. I understand. Uh, but also we, we turn to CBC. Mm -hmm. Like this is still where the CBC live broadcast has a, a lot of clout. Uh, and apologies to CTV. Uh, these things are fucking long. It was a seven and a half hour broadcast. I can only watch one of them. I watched the CBC one. Did you have a chance to check this out? I did. I had it largely muted in the background. We had it kind of streaming uh, at an election party we had here in Toronto. But tuned in and kind of turned it on every now and then to see get the sound and the full experience. I'll do respect to the journalists who worked so hard. Seven and a half hours, not an easy gig. Holy shit, it was, it was unwatchable. You could not have made this drama seem less important, less connected to issues, less... Like, I'm telling you, it just doesn't play well. I, like, it doesn't play well for me, even in the States, where you can turn politics into a horse race, turn it into sport, and kind of get people into it. Here's the swing state here, how the numbers mm -hmm. are going to go. It, it's just, I don't know if we're not good at it here or if our system just isn't set up, or the way that you kind of like, you don't hear anything, and then boom, Ontario is called and you hear everything. Uh, it's just very hard from from like from a bloodless, valueless, opinionless, issueless, purely technical, who's going to win, who's going to lose, and what's it going to mean over the next seven and a half hours, let's watch this because it's exciting. They try and they fail. I don't know how much better you could do with that. But I do think that the CBC election night broadcast is a fascinating document because it's where they pull out all the stops and they basically paint a picture, TV being a visual medium and, and not just how the set is designed, but who gets airtime, who gets to speak and when, where people are sitting. All of that you can infer so much about not just how CBC is structured, but how they kind of envision the country. And I've just been spending some time this morning afterwards, like watching it at our election night viewing party in Toronto. Thanks to everybody that came out to that. Couldn't hear it all that well. And I've just been rewatching little bits and pieces of it since then. And can I share some, some observations? Please with you? do. So it's, it's, it's like you've got Rosie Barton front and center, which tells you something. There's four anchors of the national. Uh, but obviously, as that format fails, I think we're getting some pretty clear signals as to who is the first among equals, as it should be. Uh, fair enough. She's front and center. Uh, to one side of her, it's weird. It's like you want to have top level pundits. And I do think that Andrew Quinn and Chantal LeBerry, like are probably like some of the only people who came there saying, I want to have smart, insightful, thoughtful things to say every time I have a chance to speak. Uh, I'll, I'll give them full props for that. But then it's like Corey Tanike is there. And Corey Tanike, of course, was like 
He's a, he's he's not Andrew Cornish and Talibert, who have their opinions, but are journalists who mm -hmm. are paid just to have opinions. Cory Tanek is a political operative, is Harper's right hand man. He was the guy who who led the Sun News Network trying to get a Fox News North happening here. And this, you know, that's the one thing that that always gets uh, revealed is is that CBC does not have any kind of line between like, am I hearing from someone who is paid to have opinions or am I hearing from somebody who is paid by special interests to manipulate my opinion? Do you ever see that on the other side? There's oftentimes a paid political operative from the right, but is there an actual left political operative that the CBC ever puts on? Because the CBC often seems so afraid of being perceived as too far left. Like they put people on and say like, this is the left's political operative. Yeah. I don't think anyone on the left thinks they're their political operative. Like I don't look at that when I see um, some of the folks from like the various strategy groups that the NDP establishment might contract with. They never go in there and be like, oh, like that's my guy. You know, like there, there's never that thing of being like, there was no one up. The only person up there that that whole night that I kind of resonated with was when Ryan McMahon went up there and sort of kind of called out everything that wasn't being talked about. We've sat here tonight, hardly talked about uh, the Yukon, the Northwest Territories, Nunavik, Nunavut. Um, Almost not at all. Uh, not at all. And, and I mean, we're not just talking about cl climate change as an idea there. We're talking about food sources, food insecurity issues, food security issues. And, um, and we weren't brave enough to hold a climate debate in this country. And, and to me, in 2019, uh, climate change deniers are basically flat earthers. Obviously, as a, a climate activist that was calling for a climate debate, was very heartened by the, the sort of conversation about we didn't have the courage to have this debate. Do you see that on the other side? Maybe it's that I feel so disconnected from the people they say are the left that I, I, I'm just like not, not getting it. I don't want to say anything exhaustive uh, because I haven't done any kind of like thorough analysis of it, but my impression is that you're correct. I can't think of anybody who's like the the Corey Tanike of of the left. And when you bring up Ryan, there's a couple things to say about Ryan. One is the only way he could get on that broadcast to say those things is because he's not a paid political activist, that he's, he is a person with uh, an individual with opinions and a, and a strong point of view. But it's very interesting where they put him, isn't it? There's like the kids table yeah. off in the darkness. These broadcasts are long stretches of nothing where everybody's just treading their wheels broken up by like okay something big just happened stop like whatever you were just listening to doesn't matter we're cutting and we're going and, and then and then they got another 45 minutes to fill so they always have like 18 different things they can cut to so aside from the four main tables that you can see on the, on the stage there was a sort of darkened area where they, they called it the uh the watch party and and it was described uh, to ryan as like we're gonna we're gonna find a bunch of people with skin in the game which is an interesting way to put it. He thought, oh, this is going to be the diversity token. It wasn't necessarily. It was just like, if it was a party, as they call it, the watch party, it was a party I don't want to go to. It was a party of Marie Hanane, who's a perfectly intelligent person who I have no idea why she's commenting on on uh, our federal election. Uh, okay. Mark Tui, who's the topmost uh, editorial person in the Sun chain of newspapers, editor-in-chief of the Sun Papers, person who has called for, I think, uh, all drug users in Canada to die. That's his preference, is why don't we just hand out the fentanyl and take care of this problem? So he gets he gets a seat. He's got skin in the game. Nahid Nenshi, who I think was there, like, I'm here to represent Calgary for, for whatever part of this broadcast I can. Mm -hmm. And and Ryan. It was interesting because, like, they got, like, little teeny fragments where, where, where they had a chance to speak. When they did, Ryan made the most of it. Mm -hmm. And those, I think, I, you know, of course, I, he's my colleague and my friend, uh, and I admire him a great deal. 
I'm biased about this, but I think that he was like, I'm going to make the like, you know, millions of eyes are on me for a few seconds. And so I'm not going to talk about things like pipelines as if they're abstract policy issues mm -hmm. that like, oh, well, what's the right position to get this many votes? He started talking about what it actually means to have like nation to nation consent. I've never heard one chief ever say that they are anti-Canadian economy. Right. I've never heard mm -hmm. one chief say that they are against good jobs in Alberta. You, you want to bring everyone together and have a real adult discussion. For as but long as it takes. But how do you do that? The Indigenous well, community is not a homogenous block. It no, it's not. But you know how we do it? Way. You do it. You, you stop saying how do you do it, and you make the time yeah, and the but space. It, but they did it. They don't point, agree. At some point, you've got when to. When did they do it? They've never done well, that. Well, you know, on the Trans Mountain pipeline, for example. And immediately, Mark Tui and Nancy were like, "No, no, this is you know, this is very complicated. You can't have that thing that you cut to as like the time filler." actually say something really explosive or interesting it kind of throws the whole thing off off kilter yeah god forbid the 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 main pundits actually have to respond to the fact that the election might have a real impact on people's lives or talk about that the the outcome of this means real things for real policies and real people moving forward as opposed to just talking about as sort of like some abstract thing as the holographic you know red and blue and orange lines move up from the floor and like the creepy disembodied justin trudeau stands in the corner that was so weird <laughs> it's so strange yeah well no the main table isn't even listening when they cut to those other things that's their chance to go have a pee you mm -hmm. know and you can even see moments it's seven and a half hours where ian hannah manson is just on his phone or you know duncan McHugh, a very senior indigenous journalist with the cbc they gave him a seat at the very end of the main table I don't know if he spoke for more than a minute. And, and when he was speaking, I could see Corey tonight like eating a bagel, like in the shot for like an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll, I'll share with you one other thing I noticed there. We'll move on to other other uh, election coverage. The uh, the broadcast begins and there's this empty chair that's like really front and center. It's like, you know, like just a couple of seats down from Rosie. And that's where the cameras pointed, you know, and I was like, what's with this empty chair? An hour and 40 minutes goes by. And then suddenly there he is. Peter Mansbridge. Many of you were asking where he was. He's here. He's filled his empty chair. Peter Mansbridge has made it now. Good to see you, Peter. It's tough, you know, being retired. <laughs> Is it? You tend to fall asleep. He, he shows up and they kind of go, oh, look, Peter, you, you finally made it. And he is like... He's looking very like kind of orange tanned and bearded and he's just kind of like rope-a-doping and kind of like not really doing much until... And I think that if there's one thing Peter Mansbridge knows, it's when prime time is happening. Yeah. And he knows that after we know it's a liberal minority, but before this, the concession and victory speeches, everyone is watching because they're gonna because you want to see Andrew Scheer uh, and Maxine Bernier eat shit, and you want to hear what Trudeau has to say. And you could not take the camera off of him. He just talked and talked. He was sitting there with Bob Ray, and it's just like. The camera just, uh, and he, you know, he knows how to dominate a broadcast, and he knows how to talk in such a way that you can't cut, and no one dares to cut from him, and he didn't say a goddamn thing. Like, he, it, it, was, it wasn't virtue signaling, it was like gravitas signaling. It was, it was you know, well, I remember in uh, 1972, uh, you know, there, there was what you call a, a two-script night. You got two scripts in your pocket, and you know you're going to need one of them. Like, it, it was just blather. But it was a, a vulgar display of dominance of like, this is still my space and uh, I can come in whenever I want and take a big dump on the table and let it be known. This is Peter shop. Do you think he was late because he was recording his latest episode of The Bridge in like the broom closet before the election night started? <laughs> I'm very curious what's going to happen with The Bridge. I'll tell you what, there will be a segment, The Bridge or Bridge, on today's episode. And, and Peter Man's Bridge, we will keep doing it for as long as you do. That's my vow. Cam, like, was there anything that you felt like 
were you like dying for them to address something at the podcast that, that was just unspoken? I went into it assuming that it was going to be kind of seven hours of fluff, in part because, you know, it's always interesting at the first part. They, they seem to be trying to replicate a lot of the sort of election night horse race coverage that's happening in the United States. But one, we don't have the same sort of data. So there's certain things like in the U.S. where they've got this like precinct level voter return information. And so when you're going around and you, it's really indicative in the first couple hours of election coverage in Canada, when they're like, how's this race shaping up in St. John's north where one poll is reporting and it's like 80 votes yeah like the ppc look like they're having a good night because seven people voted for them in this like one poll that's reporting whereas in the u.s they go to that and they're like we're at like the you know the suburbs of miami we've got like such a local level we can zoom in on the map and say like how is this vote polling station voting how is this one voting you can't actually get into that level so we really don't actually know anything about a race until a significant amount of the polls have been counted because we don't know where they're coming from, how neighborhoods break down and that kind of stuff. So they're just like making up absolute bullshit about like how the race is shaping up, how this is going for the first few hours, because they know they actually know nothing. Like They don't actually have any kind of tea leaves that they're reading other than sort of being like, how's this race shaping up? I want to shift to print media, print media, really, really. uh I think having less of an impact than uh, than maybe ever before, at least in the weeks leading up to it. You know, like it, it's 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 at a point now where all it has is the symbolic, you know, the, a wraparound advertisement on the cover of the National Post calling Justin Trudeau uh, all sorts of terrible names. Uh, I, I don't think it's swaying anyone. It's just uh, it's just a reminder of what we already knew. Is like, yeah, they will sell that. They'll they, they will sell the front page of the newspaper for very very negative campaign material propaganda. Very interesting for us to note that uh, in our ongoing scrutiny of Post Media, a lot of people read uh, our story reported by Sean Craig that had it that Post Media was centralizing its editorial control, that the editorial strategy was not really going to be up to each individual newspaper. How do we best support our, our, our readers and reflect our readers? You know, you could have the Edmonton Journal, progressive newspaper. When it comes to things like endorsements or what kind of coverage, what we learned was that this was, uh, this was shifting and this was all going to come from Post Media headquarters. To the extent that they even spoke to us, they denied it up and down. When Andrew McLeod finally did talk about it, uh, he wouldn't talk to us, but he talked about it in a fluff piece in his own newspaper. He says, this has absolutely nothing to do with the centralization of editorial strategy. We want to make sure that we offer a wide range of voices that aren't always represented in the media landscape. So editorial endorsement, best choice for Canada is sheer. That ran Vancouver Sun, Calgary Herald, Edmonton Journal, Saskatoon Star Phoenix, Regina Leader Post, London Free Press, Montreal Gazette, Ottawa Citizen, Windsor Star. Same editorial, same endorsement. The only paper that had a different one was the National Post, also an endorsement for Shear, but, you know, uh, as, as Goldsby pointed out, a marginally better written one. So, you know, it's nice to know they're not centralizing their editorial control. At this point, I feel like these things, the only purpose they serve is to tell us whether or not we, to confirm our reporting or let us know if we were off base, because I don't think that the, the endorsements matter a whit. I don't know that they move the needle like above double digits. I think you're right for those of us who uh, don't get our news typically from a physical newspaper. Like we're a generation that's online. We're reading it there. Um, but I started to wonder about, and I have done nothing to follow up and specifically confirm this, but I grew up in a house where my parents always had the Edmonton Journal. We grew up in Edmonton every single day. They now live in Vancouver and they get the newspaper every single day. Their generation also votes the most. They have the highest turnout rate. And so I wonder, the thing that I wonder is, do these endorsements matter to the people that are still reading papers? And are those people also overlapping with the people who vote the most in the age demographics? What do you like think? Like 55 and up. I think it does because I don't know. I don't think my parents have 
uh, I don't think their generation either have been following along or following along and are like know that post media has centralized its editorial control. I don't think they have the distrust that maybe younger folks have of the the sort of like folks making the decisions at the tops of these papers. And so I think it maybe does move the needle in that sense where you're talking about folks who are overwhelmingly also often concerned about like the economic and pocketbook issues, the issues that like a sheer endorsement is going to speak to. I'd be shocked if that doesn't move some votes specifically in that demographic. I don't think it's moving the national conversation. I don't think it's convincing anyone significantly under the age of 50. But I do wonder if it is having an impact on those folks who have been reading the paper since before this thing happened. And when, you know, in the 70s, 80s or 90s, where they had a degree of trust, if they have not lost that trust, they might still be believing in it. And if they were sitting on a fence being like, I don't know about Trudeau or Scheer, and they picked up that paper in the morning, they might actually have, it might have influenced their vote. I think that's a good point. I think that I probably underestimate the number of people who are not participating in the, like, forget about the the conversation about the Canadian media, like the meta conversation, but the Canadian media itself, they might just check in on election day. There, there is no shortage of people who don't really follow this stuff very closely. And then it's like, all right, I got to vote next week. Let's have a look at a newspaper. And yeah, that's like, you know, you're going to read four or five things. And when you read those endorsements, they go, they make their case. They say, here's what it's going to mean for your, for your, your tax outcome for you. I mean, it certainly doesn't move the needle the other way. Like it's, it's certainly, it's something, I mean, it's, it's the biggest newspaper chain in the country taking orders from headquarters to say, tell all Canadians to vote this way without with the same words. They didn't even have the respect for readers to say, here's why Edmontonians should vote for Sheer. If you're going to propagandize to people, tell them why in, in, for their concerns and their economy, this is the best choice. They, uh, they didn't do that. Uh, they, they, they had a one-size-fits-all endorsement. The Globe and Mail did not publish an endorsement. Do you think that's because they made a conscious decision to do that or they came to the decision they wanted to endorse the conservatives but not sheer and remembered what happened in 2015 i i think that endorsements have been such a shit show uh our reporting on this uh i think embarrassed them you know last time around the editorial board came up with one endorsement and then the phone rang and philip crawley picked it up and whether the thompsons were on the other end of that i don't know for a fact but uh, the editorial board was told you're switching the endorsement and that's when we got the uh tortured like it was as somebody had a gun to their head forced to type this uh, the conservatives but not harper uh uh, you know, we, we got the backstory on it. The, the editorial itself embarrassed them. And I think that uh, I think that in, the, in this case, they just looked at all the different options and c- concluded there's just too much embarrassment here for what it's worth. Like, I'm sure the Thompson family have a preference, but like uh, good for the globe for shutting up on this one. <laughs> like, you know, I guess if I'm going to go the other way, I have to give props where it's due. Like there's a lack of credibility to it. And, and it, I think it's bad for the morale in the newsroom. And, you know, you have editorial boards. This is what I actually would like to find out this time. Did they go through each platform, you know, run the numbers, uh, look at this, like do a full thorough analysis of each platform before we reach our, our endorsement? What I want to know is, did they go through that process and then mm-hmm. ultimately decide not to do any endorsements at all? Or did they just scrap the whole endeavor? Finally, we got to talk about Warren Kinsella. All right. Warren Kinsella, political operative, self-described what? Prince of Darkness, uh, grandiosity, uh, delusions. He, he was he was Jean Chrétien's war room guy. Seems to have just made himself an agent of chaos, jumping between political causes. Yeah, he, he's a hatchet man uh, ever since then. And he's branded himself as like, I am the mastermind of, of the dark arts of political fuckery. And uh, he'll 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 work that art for any any king shilling. Um, he'll work for anybody. And we knew that he was working for somebody. Uh, and yet. Like, he has a column in the Toronto Sun, 
and Warren Kinsella, I think, you know, with his liberal party past and his own, you know, kind of anti-racist gestures in his own work, he places himself as like, I'm the left-leaning guy who just can't stand Trudeau. And he wrote missive after missive, just really vicious attacks on Trudeau. Sun loved it, put it on the front page. Editorials, Kinsella on the front page of the Sun. He runs this thing, the Daisy Group, political comms firm. Again, you hire them to do dirty work for you. And somebody from Daisy Group, formerly from Daisy Group, supplied documents. Uh, the Globe and Mail broke it, and CBC got their hands on them, and so did we, revealing that who has Kinsella been working for this whole time? The Conservatives. He's been working for the Conservatives, and the job has been to go after Bernier and to cast Bernier as a racist, which, like, I don't know why you need to pay somebody to do that, or to do it anonymously. And so... What we found out, we, we reported a little bit more to it than, uh, you know, Jonathan Goldsby got a little bit more information, that there was a secondary ambition of this contract called Project Cactus, and that was to shield the conservative candidates, to distract from vetting of the conservative candidate. The one benefit for Scheer in Bernier splitting the conservative vote is that now all the lunatics uh, and the racists look like they're in one basket. Um, and it, and it uh, you know, the, the, the purpose, the paid purpose was to keep people's focus off of his own people and stop that vetting, um, which still occurred to some degree. But that was something that Kinsella was paid to do. Dirty stuff, like I think probably surprises no one that it goes on. My question, our question has been for the son, like now that you know, and they say they didn't know, mm-hmm. now that you know that this person who you've been presenting to us is just an opinion person was a secretly paid political operative. What the fuck are you going to do about that? Is there an apology? Are you retracting these pieces? And post-media, Lucia Corbella, they they took some of her pieces offline when they found out that there were those dual affiliations. And I don't think it wasn't even like a strong, uh, I think she was just a party member. I mean, it's the sun, right? Why am I taking this so seriously? I don't know. The Toronto Star does this too. Jamie Watt of Navigator writes for writes opinion pieces one question i have on the other side of it so this back to what we were talking about earlier with the cbc and is there a sort of do they do they afford the same sort of things for the for people coming from the opposite side thinking back at just the toronto star of like what happened to desmond cole when as a columnist they thought he was being too political mm-hmm. and was essentially sort of given an uh you know seem oversimplified i'm sure but say like either like tone it down or get out I don't think you're oversimplifying. If I remember it, it, he was told pretty quickly, uh, pretty plainly, you can be an activist or you can be a columnist, but you can't be both. But it seems like on the other side, you can be both. I don't know. I I guess it's like you get into, uh, are you an activist who gets paid? I'm like, I'm sure you believe in your cause or, you know, uh, but you get paid. So people say, ah, he's just doing this because it's his job. And then there are other people who like, they really will, they'll they'll fight for any cause. (laughs) You know, if you pay them, they'll, they'll, they'll go for any campaign. I think on the other side, like, I get paid for a cause, and because of that, I I have like an internalized shame that I would never attempt. I know that if I get interviewed, that there's going to be a very clear line of like, I work with 350.org, and there has to be a caveat of, which is connected to a U.S.-funded organization. I would never attempt to, anything I I try to write is going to be an op-ed that has a very clear line of like, I have an opinion. And so I think when looking at, at Kinsella, it's like, he should have to hold all of the the work he has done going forward. And if someone on, if like I was writing in the Toronto Star and it were to come out that I had written something and not disclosed that, that would be a, a, an immediate and massive problem. They'd never publish you again. No. Look what's happened with Kinsella. He shut down his social media. He's put out a statement. He removed some of the statement. The, 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 the original statement, it's like when somebody's a paid spin doctor and their job is to craft the, the, the message that is going to be most beneficial and sympathetic to them, he, he removed this paragraph. It was it was uh, this long thing about how he's not going to apologize for fighting racism. 
He also kind of like tosses off in it. Oh, by the way, we hired somebody who was out there like spreading anti-Semitism. I'm like, we don't even know what he's talking about there. He's obviously protecting his ass against some future revelation. But he removes this part. I've lost. I've lost a lot in recent months. Family I deeply love. Friends. Hope. While I am proud we opposed Bernier's racism, I, not my colleagues, did it the wrong way. I hurt them and those who trusted me. I deserve every bit of the contempt that continues to come my way. I'm lost. I'm lost. And I'm not sure how to find my way back to shore. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, yeah. as a human being, I don't like I, uh, everything he writes, I suspect, is just some level of some game that he's playing. Maybe this is the dark moment of the soul where he says, what am I? What have I done with myself? And, and how do I find myself in this position? And I'm going to disappear for a while, do some thinking. I wish him well for his uh, his, his safety and well-being. But, you know, I, I think that your point is like when somebody tells you who they are, believe them. Uh, we know this guy will work for anyone and say anything. Uh, he shouldn't be writing editorials in newspapers and somebody should take responsibility for the fact that they that they allowed their newspaper to be used as propaganda to manipulate people without their own knowledge. Yeah, I think there's another idea I want to put in for folks like Kinsella and some of other political operatives. I think if you're a political operative in this country, and I'd apply this to myself as an activist, you should have to we should have to publish um, win loss records for issues we've worked on based on like like a you know, like sports stats. I think one, it would thin out the number of people commenting on our politics as experts who are actually very bad political operatives. And two, it would help us like make clear like which side everyone stands on and make it clear that like where your biases are and where these things like if you're going to do this, make it clear, like, you know, put it on when when someone from a consulting firm is on a CBC panel, we should put up like how many candidates have they helped elect or how many campaigns have they helped win or how many issues have they shifted? Because there's a lot of people right now. And I think it might also clear some space for to have a much more diverse and vibrant sector of like commentating voices in our punditry if you were to remove so-called political experts who actually literally have no political expertise and have lost every campaign they've ever run. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, And just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. 
help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Cam, uh, we look at lots of stuff and some stuff that we look at should be looked at by more people. And uh, so we note it duly. Do you have something that you think more people should know about? Uh, I have two things. One of them is really quick. But uh, thinking about covering climate change going forward, something really interesting that the CBC on Vancouver Island has been doing. Every morning now when they read the stock numbers, they also say they tell the listeners the atmospheric concentration of carbon dioxide, uh, which sort of lets everyone know that um, – or I guess sort of subtly puts that the state of our economy, because no one really understands like the Dow, TSX, what those numbers mean at the same level as the state of our planet. Uh, so something that I found really interesting uh, as a way that's like very subtly covering climate in a new way. So they're like, uh, GDP is up. We're all going to die. Yeah, I guess. GDP is up. Carbon's here. Um, and I think those numbers are both as esoteric to the listener um, as each other, like no one knows what 410 parts per million means the same way they don't know what the TSX being up a point is. But it does sort of put this thing of like the state of our economy and the state of our world, at least we're, we're addressing them both at the same time. No, that's super interesting. It is like if you're going to say that the, the, that the daily fluctuations in numbers um, are one way of reporting the news, which is like what is happening in the world right now? Well, well, by this measurement, the world is doing worse or better. And then to only focus that on financial information and not look at, like, the actual state of the physical planet that we inhabit, duly noted. I want to duly note that every fucking braying, hysterical idiot online who is up in my ear about Jessica Yaniv should just eat so much shit today. Like, like and, uh, you know... Jessica Yaniv, we're going to hell in a handbasket. Political correctness gone wild. We're going mad. This identity politics stuff is crazy. In Canada, you can be forced to wax a trans person's genitals. And Jessica Yaniv is, is, is proof. This, this disgusting story about this awful person that was uh, just resonated around the world, uh, that Canada was sort of ground zero for what happens when these radicals uh, get too much power and and uh, and it was all bullshit. The complaints were thrown out. You can't force people to wax your genitals. Of course you can't. You never could. The only thing they have to stand on here is that the Human Rights Tribunal listened to the argument. In a free society, anyone can launch a legal claim against anyone, and it's a good thing that our, our, our court system and our various tribunals and committees will say, okay, we're not going to say you look like you're a self-interested person in bad faith. We're going to, we're going to hear your complaint and we're going to give it the same due process we would anyone else's. It takes time. It's stressful for the people who are accused flagrantly and, and falsely. That sucks. Uh, I don't take anything away from how much that sucks. There are thousands of frivolous lawsuits that suck filed every day. We do not turn them into international news events. The Jessica Yaniv story is is embarrassing. It's shameful that this got any traction at all. It was thrown out as it was always going to be by the Human Rights Tribunal. Duly noted. What else do you have? Uh, second thing is that I wanted to duly note an article from about two weeks ago that ran in Vice. Uh, the headline was by Maya Wickler. It was 11 youth climate activists everyone should be paying attention to. It profiles uh, 11 indigenous and youth of color that have been leading climate strikes across North America. Wanted to note it um, because this Friday, Greta Thunberg is going to be in Canada for the third time. 
um, and hoping that third time's the charm that the Canadian media recognize that there are actual Canadian 16-year-olds that are leading this movement uh, and that are actually organizing and don't just give voice to the truck convoys that are opposing them and complain about not being able to get interviews with Greta. Duly noted. You know, I gave Peter Mansbridge a hard time earlier in this episode, but that should be no slight against the good people at Manscorp Media. They work hard every day. They are paid nothing to give you free entertainment and information in the form of Peter Mansbridge's daily political podcast, The Bridge. Have they stopped just because the election is over? They have not stopped. They are still delivering 20 minutes of solid Peter Mansbridge content every day. And as long as they do that, we're going to do this. The bridge abridged. Tiffany, take us to the bridge. Well, I think I'll take him to the bridge. 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 All right, if I take him, yo. Take him to the bridge. Say it one time. Bam! And hello there, I'm Peter Mansbridge. This is the bridge for the day after the night before. Or is it the night after the day after the night before? I don't know anymore. I don't know what to call the bridge on these days, after the fact, after the election, after the thing we've been talking about and getting ready for for the last six weeks. The Liberals have no representation in Alberta or Saskatchewan. The NDP have representation in both those provinces. That's interesting. That could leave some possibilities. We'll see. All right. So did you watch the uh, program last night, the election night program on the CBC? Um, Because I was on there a little bit last night. And I was sitting next to Bob Ray, you know, the two septuagenarians who were sitting there. And (laughs) there were people making fun of us uh, online and, said, you know, you look like those two guys from the Muppets. Those two old guys are sitting there dabbling away. All right, Ken, the last thing I want to talk with you about today is you've been stuffing your climate propaganda into star media boxes and disguising it to look like the star. I'm not going to call it deceitful because I don't think that, I think that if you're like looking at your star media newspaper box and from a distance you see a familiar blue masthead and you, and you approach it and it doesn't say star media Vancouver. It says, uh, what does it say? The our times, the our times. I think there's a moment of deceit. There's a moment where you're like, this is just like some special edition of star Metro. Um, but then I think as you get into it, you realize this is not star Metro at all. This is about climate, and this is from a climate group. I think that it was more of, of an act of, like, agitprop satire, what you did. But the journalists at Star Metro, they were not uh, quite so uh, amused as I was. And have you gotten a cease and desist yet? Uh, no, I got a phone call basically saying, are you planning to do more of this? If so, we're going to send you a cease and desist, but we were very clear. I apologize for ruining Why did you apologize? Day. What did you do wrong, Cam? I think we naively uh, assumed that putting a 
a headline on the front page that was patently impossible. Like we announced that a policy had passed when there isn't a government sitting. So we assumed that might tip people off that it was fiction. We put that headline on. Uh, all of the writers, the j journalists within it, were um, taken from the Degrassi High School uh, newspaper editor editorial staff. <laughs> uh, no one got that joke. I, I really had to I'd get that uh. in because no one, no one picked up on that. And I feel very disappointed by it. And so I think, I mean, if were I to do it again, I might change the color of the header, maybe be a little more, but... Why would you change the color of the header? That, 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 that the joke doesn't work. It, it was interesting because it's, it, by choosing the star, like our, our intention was it was this free paper that's handed out every day. And so the idea was we needed to create a moment of disbelief within people in order to have them believe that we could do something to, to, to deal with climate change at the scale of the crisis. Because when we've looked at the coverage, we've seen like, when you look at even reading like the NDP plan, which is maybe like 50 or 60% of the way there on what would need to happen to transform our economy to deal with like the science of climate change, it was dismissed as like, this isn't possible. You know, it's like, this is a great idea, but it's not possible. The stars out of Your form of activism is, is rather than having an angry form, it's a happy form of like, this is possible, let's act as if. What if it's true? Yeah. And what I liked about this uh, bit of uh, agitprop was that it felt like an effort to puncture that balloon of disbelief that just pushes that kind of... And now that there is a growing public sentiment of like, we don't want a halfway measure. We don't want the one that almost saves us from this outcome. What if we like like dare to dream? Like, mm -hmm. what if this were possible? And I, I keep waiting for somebody to make that case for me in, in a cogent way where it's actually an option on the table. So by putting it on, like, what if this was the front page of your newspaper? What if we lived in a world where this had already happened? I thought it was very clever. You know, I, I and I'm saying this as somebody who used to like take newspapers out of boxes and, and when I was publishing a newspaper in high school and stuff my own in, uh, you know, maybe it's too much admiration. And I'm going to hear from journalists who think that what you did was just absolute vandalism and maybe even fake news. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, we knew it was, we kind of referred to it as science fiction news because it was from the future and we had this time travel and we were handing them out. Like here, here in Toronto, um, folks just handed them out. They went out into the subway across the city and were loudly screaming, like, news from the future. Come get your news from the future. As they handed them out in other cities, because we, we distributed them to volunteers across the country, they got put into the boxes. But yeah, there there was definitely some some very angry Star Metro journalists. And I think part of it was that, and credit where it's due, uh, and why we felt kind of bad for it, is that of Canadian media outlets, the Star has been one of the better when it comes to covering climate change. Like they did that great series on it, but that by no means means that they're actually doing it at the scale that dealing yeah. with the, the problem would require. If you aimed it at post media, you'd have more sympathy, but then that's not like a free paper people pick up on the subway. So did it did it fuck up your your organization? Is, is it because like do you look at this as a successful action or uh, like is, have you paid a price for this? I think we'll see the next time we uh, do a protest in one of these cities and see if the Star Metro reporters come out to cover it. Because one thing that was shocking was. A lot of Star Metro reporters tweeted at us uh, or phoned me or complained about it. No one wrote a story about it. Yeah. There was no, like, you know, no one wrote an editorial condemning it. Like, it, you'd think it, like, maybe it's newsworthy to, like, take over the front page of a paper and yeah, hand it out the, across the country. Because then you'll do it again. Yeah, that's the problem. You know, don't want to, don't want to, you know, reinforce the... <laughs> your bad behavior. You yes. want to encourage your bad behavior. And, and, and how terrible would it be to actually give any space to the idea that we could just cut fossil fuels entirely? Can't have that. No, absolutely not. When we're back to the polls, and it might be sooner than we think, uh, somehow or another, this is going to have to be put to the front of the agenda. I mean, I, I kind of know where you're going to go. <laughs> I kind of suspect you'll agree with that. But seriously, like, rationally speaking, like that that moment and that energy that you follow closer than I do, uh, what direction is that heading in? Is that, is, that, is that ebbing up or is it leveled off? When you talk about the climate strikes, it was interesting watching the media coverage of it because it ended on September 28th. Like climate was an issue that the media talked about. 
until the strikes were over. And then it was kind of on to new things. And there was actually, it was the, uh, it was the party lines podcast with Rosemary Barton and, uh, Elamine that they, that it was the one after it. And they like, were talking about it. And Rosemary Barton's like, well, I thought this might become the issue, but climate's not the issue. So we're moving on. And I, I guess I didn't understand it. Like, I, I want to actually know the process inside a lot of the pundits and, and kind of journalists mind in the country that see climate's the top polling issue. There's a million people in the streets on it. It's not the issue that's going to define the election. And I just don't know where the disconnect is there and like where, like why, like what, what is the math that adds one plus one equals zero in this for it not to get more billing or not to at least get more of a deep examination and more time to say like, let's actually, you know, like, like have a climate debate. Let's put the leaders on the stage and have them actually talk about how they're going to solve this crisis more than just a few minutes for them to say, like, do you support a pipeline or not? Or talk about, like, are your targets deep enough or things about that, frankly, like climate change is hard to communicate to people. Most people, you start talking about it, glaze over until you actually start talking about what it means for their their daily lives. And we never heard from a single leader, really, what like tackling the climate crisis means for your day to day life. We never heard someone say we never heard someone get to the point of being like, you want to get off fossil fuels? What's your transition plan? You know, Justin Trudeau has a just promise to bring in a just transition act. But what is it? Like, what is the just transition act that is going to carry the the oil workers of Alberta through a phase out on whatever timeline you're proposing? And beyond that, I think that that's the part where the, the voter, the citizen is being really disrespected. I think we're at a point where people are looking for leadership. And I, the way I feel about it is like, look, I believe the science. I do glaze over when you hit me with these numbers. And the, it's always just gloom. And, you know, uh, I, I have to think hard to understand what you're saying. And my, my prize for getting there is I'll be bummed out. Tell me what the fuck you want from me. And I'm ready to make sacrifices. But no leader is willing to ask me to make sacrifices. It's so far from our political conversation. You know, it's been since like World War II, you know, I think like Jimmy Carter asked people to wear sweaters and got laughed off the stage. And since then, the idea that a politician might ask people to make sacrifices is just verboten. It's just, it's poisonous. Uh, I think people are ready for that, but no one's willing to actually give them that option. So I wanna propose a bit of a crazy idea to you that bring it back to World War II and the news bailout. A lot of people have started talking about comparing like the scale of mobilization of economic transformation that would be necessary to deal with climate change as the only thing that's looked like it before was World War II. Sarah Berman wrote a great piece about it in Vice a few weeks ago. Seth Klein, the former director of the CCPA in BC, is writing a book about it. But one of the things that existed in World War II was government-run media. There was a propaganda operation that was putting up posters, that was producing newsreels, that was like meeting with editorial boards and like trying to help drive a conversation that drove a national narrative of we as a nation have to rise to this existential threat. So if we're going to if the government's going to hand over a bunch of money to the media, what if it was tied to you can get you can have it, but you have to cover climate change based on the science and you actually have to do it. If we're going to get if the government's going to get in the news business, what if they went all the way? <laughs> you communist. All right, thank you. <laughs> All right, Cam. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. Where can people find you, Cam? I'm on Twitter at, at Cam Fenton, and you can find the Our Times at our-time.ca. We are on Twitter at Canada Land, and our website is canadalandshow.com. I'll remind you again, Thursday, November 7th, Canada Land, live, on stage, all of us doing 
little mini shows and we will be unveiling a brand new podcast. You're going to want to hear about this. Go to Hot Docs Podcast Festival. Search for it on your Google box. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do, if you'd like to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.